welcome to our second episode in this series, mini-series, on the sacraments. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Saint Peter the Apostle, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Last episode, we broke into the depth of the sacraments, speaking about what is required, the three requirements, if you remember, which are form, matter, as well as having a minister with the right intention, or the proper minister with the right intention. We spoke about uh, what a sacrament is. Why do we call it sacrament? Where does that word come from? The principal means of sanctification and making sacred the soul. Uh, and so sanctifying grace uh, is so essential. Because without it, we cannot be in union with God. Without a union with God, we cannot be holy. We don't have his beauty dwelling within us. We don't have the ability to please him in the way in which we should or could. We have no ability to act supernaturally and merit anything without sanctifying grace, or at least uh, to condignly merit. Again, going back to uh, the miniseries on grace, where we speak about the different kinds of merit. Therefore, as we speak about these sacraments, we are talking about the past of Christ crucified and actually are united and participate in that sacrifice as a result of the sacraments. We speak about the present and that there is a true reality taking place through the sacrament. It is an efficacious sign of sanctifying grace. And the seven sacraments also point us to the future in that this sanctifying grace is a pledge to claim on future glory so long as I remain faithful and keep that uh, sanctifying grace within my soul by not committing mortal sins, which root out the life, the eternal life of God from the soul, and therefore it is mortal in that it kills the soul by rooting out this life and sanctifying grace, as well as divine charity and several other things as well. Today I want to speak about the effects of the sacraments. They are many, and they are rich, and so knowing these will help us also to further appreciate what we have in the sacrament. The sacraments, as I've said, are the principal means of salvation and of sanctifying grace because they unite us to the cross of Christ. Once again, pointing back to the past, but that past is the only reason why the present reality is possible and is efficacious. Through all of the, all of the sacraments, sanctifying grace enters the soul or is renewed within the soul or is increased within the soul. So what I mean by that is that certain sacraments help us in various ways. For instance, how do we receive sanctifying grace for the first time into the soul? That is by way of baptism. If I have never received baptism, I can't go receive confirmation. Confirmation is a grace that is, excuse me, is a sacrament that is to help me to increase the sanctifying grace that I already have in the soul. It's not to be the first sacrament that gives me sanctifying grace. And so when I say that uh, certain sacraments have different effects in this way, in relation to sanctifying grace, I mean that baptism is for the sanctifying grace to enter for the first time into the soul. Then secondly, we have uh, this renewal of sanctifying grace in that we have the sacrament of confession. And the sacrament of confession, reconciliation or penance, it's known by many names, is something that restores and renews the sanctifying grace in the soul. Not only but that is certainly a primary effect of it. 
So what I mean is that when we commit mortal sin, how do we receive sanctifying grace back into the soul? Do I go get confirmed? Do I get rebaptized? Do I go get the anointing of the sick? Do I just have to wait until I'm on my deathbed and see if a priest will come for the anointing of the sick? None of that. We go to the sacrament of reconciliation. That's how, that's the ordinary way in which one who has committed mortal sin is reunited to the family of God, uh, or the life of God is once again restored within him and therefore is a living member once again of the family of God and is in full communion once again with the Holy Catholic Church. <clears throat> And then we have things like the Eucharist and confirmation, as well as anointing of the sick and holy orders and matrimony. All of these are the sacraments of the living in that they are for those who are already in sanctifying grace. These are directed at increasing sanctifying grace. Also, why I had a little bit of a caveat with reconciliation is that for those who confess not in mortal sin, which is a great thing to do, and please do it. We, could, we should go to the sacrament of reconciliation very often. But for those who are not in the state of sin and confess their sins in the sacrament of reconciliation, receive an increase of sanctifying grace. It's another sacrament like the Eucharist that we're able to receive repeatedly in order for greater strength, for greater help and protection from temptation, but also so that we live a life that is truly holier and more in witness to Christ. And therefore, we should take advantage of those sacraments that we are able to receive with regularity. Again, namely, reconciliation, and the Eucharist. So, already we can notice with sanctifying grace, although all of them give sanctifying grace, produce in, in, in a sense, the, in the soul, sanctifying grace, they're not all directed in the same way as to how they do so. One is for the entrance of that, for the first time, that grace into our soul, like baptism, or the refresh and, and renewal of, the refreshment and renewal of, of that, like reconciliation, and then also the increase and strengthening of that uh, sanctifying grace within the soul, like the other sacraments. Along with sanctifying grace, though, every sacrament has a particular sacramental grace, uh, also known as special grace, which I write here. This means that every sacrament has a unique grace that is given as a result of that sacrament itself. Otherwise, if all of them only gave sanctifying grace, and they all just gave it in the same way, then it would be useless that we have seven sacraments. We would only need one. But rather, all of these have their own particular effects. And one of those is that they all have a special grace. So the sacrament, excuse me, the special grace, the particular grace um, of the sacrament of the Eucharist is different from the special sacramental grace of reconciliation and anointing of the sick and all of the other sacraments. Therefore, we have seven sacraments, and each of them have a particular grace. If they all, uh, as I said, produce only uh, one thing all in the same way, then there would be no reason for multiple. The other reason why we know that there is a special grace for each of the seven sacraments is that every one of the seven sacraments has an efficacious sign. An efficacious sign, which means then that... If the sign is different, then the reality or the effect is going to be different. So if I have an efficacious sign like pouring water while saying the proper words on an infant for baptism, and then I have another sign, uh, let's say, in putting oil on somebody who is very sick and putting my hands on them as well, then these signs are very different. And those signs, not only are they efficacious, but they also indicate the reality that is 
that is spiritual that is taking place as a result of this sacrament. Therefore, if baptism has one sign and the, every other sacrament has another sign, then I should not expect that the spiritual reality that is being affected by them is going to be the same. So, the fact that we have seven distinct signs means that we have seven distinct effects. Although, an increase of sanctifying grace, or the giving of producing of sanctifying grace in one way or another, is a common effect of all seven. So they all, in some ways, give or increase sanctifying grace, but then the special grace is distinct in all of the seven sacraments. The Council of Trent, a council that took place after Martin Luther broke away from the church, I want to say it was about the 1560s. Uh, he broke away in 1517, but then we have uh, a little bit of gap of time so that the Catholic Church properly and, and prudently responds to this revolution uh, that Protestants do uh, by, by breaking off from the Holy Catholic Church. And so the Council of Church says, quote, If anyone saith that the sacraments of the new law are not necessary unto salvation, but superfluous, in other words, unnecessary and just above what is what is essential, uh, though all are not indeed necessary for every individual, let him be anathema. That is rather bold. Anathema is a, a, a word saying, let him be accursed, in essence, from the Latin. In other words, he is breaking from tradition, from truth. He is a heretic. He is not believing and performing what is necessary. And therefore, he is putting himself in grave danger and outside of the unity of the faith. Part of the unity of the church, when we speak of one holy Catholic and apostolic church, is truth that binds us. It is so important. It is only the devil that wants to deceive, wants to water down, wants to be ambiguous, wants to confuse. It is clarity uh, that is something that we look for and, 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 and profess and declare, because clarity is important when it comes to truth. Likewise, if the sacraments affect what they signify, um, then we understand that there are as many effects as there are differing signs in the sacraments, as I mentioned. Let us move on to the indelible mark. Now, only three of the sacraments have an indelible mark. So I'm not speaking about this as, a, 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 as an effect from all of the sacraments, seven sacraments. Only three of them. That is baptism, that is holy orders, becoming a priest, and that is confirmation. The indelible mark uh, is different it's distinct for each of these three as well. So in other words, baptism doesn't give the same indelible mark as confirmation. Again, what would be the point of that? Let us read from the Council of Florence, which was in 1439 A.D. Quote, Among these sacraments, there are three, baptism, confirmation, and holy orders, that indelibly imprint upon the soul a character that is, a kind of spiritual mark distinct from all others, and this is the reason why they are administered but once to the same person. The other four do not imprint a character and can be administered more than once. End quote. So, these sacraments can only ever be received one time. They give an indelible mark, a mark that is imprinted on the soul in a particular way, distinct according to that particular sacrament, and therefore, an indelible mark, when we mean this, we mean something that lasts forever. In fact, even to go to hell or to go to heaven, you will still have this mark on you. If you receive the baptismal mark, the character, as it's also called, or a seal, another, another thing. If you think about it, it's like 
as, as soon as you receive baptism, although you receive the forgiveness of your sins, although you're brought into the family of God, although uh, sanctifying grace enters into your soul as well, God himself dwells there, and all of these other things, you also receive this mark that basically says, belonging to Christ, if you think of it this way. And so even when we commit a mortal sin and we cast ourselves out of union with God, we still have this mark on our soul. St. Cyril notes that the angels can recognize the Christians by way of this sacramental mark. It is a permanent quality of the soul. It is always there, and it is a supernatural faculty or power directed at performing religious acts of divine worship. So that is a fancy way of saying, in essence, that by way of this character, we are helped in the way of performing that which is necessary according to what we are doing or what we have received in the sacrament. So again, if you remember, I said that sacramentum, this was a Latin word that was, in the Roman Empire, a word speaking of an oath of allegiance from the soldier to Rome. Likewise, for us, we are taking an oath every time we receive a sacrament in the sense that we are going to live the life that is given to us as by Christ's example, that we are living the life of our baptismal promises, that we are engaged in loving God in the way that we should and loving our neighbors for the sake of God. And so every time we receive a sacrament, we are hope, we are pledging ourselves that we will remain uh, in allegiance with God and that we will live this life that is marked out for us. Therefore, this permanent quality of the soul, the steel, uh, excuse me, the seal or the stamp or character or indelible mark, it's known by many different names, um, is, is something that helps us to do so. The seal or sign denotes three things. One, distinction. That this sign or seal, let's say at the moment of baptism, that when I receive this imprint on my soul, I am distinct from every other person that is not baptized. And that, as I said, St. Cyril noting that the angels recognize a person that is baptized versus not by this the seal or this stamp or this character that is imprinted as a result of the baptism. Also, a duty. Again, we bear allegiance. Just like the sacrament of the oath of the soldier to the nation of Rome, or empire of Rome, means that that person not only has privileges in being a soldier, but also has obligations in being a soldier. Likewise, to receive baptism, to receive confirmation, to receive holy orders, it is a great privilege, indeed, a great privilege. But it is also a heavy obligation that only by the help of grace, only by the help of what God has done for us and continues to do for us, through the sacraments and outside of them, are we able to actually fulfill uh, this, these obligations of this duty. So the seal or the character makes us distinct from others. It also gives us a duty uh, to another, to God himself in essence, as well it is uh, a configuration to Christ or to the one to whom the seal belongs. So as I said, it, it's kind of like being stamped with belonging to Christ, right? You see on the bottom of a toy or something made in China. Well, it is belonging to Christ is what is stamped on our soul. And that distinguishes us from those that are not belonging to Christ as a result of the grace that is given to them and uh, by way of receiving any of these sacraments. It is also the obligation to live according to the way in which Christ has calls us and, and, and commands. And then in thir thirdly, it is also a configuration to him. We are being ordered towards him. 
In fact, this is why we call holy orders holy orders, because you are being ordered in a way that allows you to administer the sacraments of Christ to the, the faithful. However, baptism also is an ordering towards Christ in a different way than holy orders, and confirmation as well. And so all of these, again, they have their distinct seals, but all of these seals in some way or another distinguish us from others, give us obligations or duties, and conform and configure us to Christ. The triple effect of the character is to be that it is a recognizable mark that we are belonging to Christ truly as the property of the owner of the seal, that we belong to him, just like a person would say, uh, would stamp uh, perhaps their name and their phone number on something so that if it's ever lost, people know this belongs to me, give it back to me. Likewise, God, that's what he's doing. He's putting his name on us, which is remarkable if you think about it, because we are sinners. We do that which is disgusting and very displeasing to him every time that we commit a sin, but he's willing to put his name on us anyway. He's willing to say it belongs to God, even though we live a life at times of debauchery or at times of great sinfulness. God still wants us. We still belong to him. He has allowed us to receive this sacrament. I don't want us to get lost in the theology of the sacraments, that we lose the true reality of the goodness and the generosity of God every time as he is willing to give us this. Think about this. God knows from all eternity what souls are going to be baptized and which aren't, which will receive confirmation, how many will receive the Eucharist, and how many will do so unworthily. He knows the people that will be baptized but will never enter into heaven because they didn't live according to their obligations that they have. He knows that, but he still allows them to receive that. He's still willing to put his name on them. He's still willing to give these graces to help them. He's still willing to give the special grace of every one of those sacraments that they receive because he is good, because he is truly one who loves perfectly. And therefore, he's knowing that they are going to abandon him, knowing that we are often in our sinfulness, going to reject him and be displeasing to him. He still wants his name on us or still allows his name be put on us. That is a good and holy and generous God. And then also likeness to the owner. So again, the triple effect of this kind of distinction, recognizable mark, belonging to him uh, as well, having obligations and whatnot, as, uh, and this likeness to the owner, or likeness to God, that he's configuring us to him. Finally, the sacramental seal or character also prepares a soul for grace. All right. So it prepares the soul as well for grace in that it has a moral claim on all of the necessary actual graces to worthily fulfill the office of, dig of dignity one received from the sacrament. So all of that to say that from this indelible mark, we also receive a type of claim, like this is owed to me, in a sense, a title on all of the actual graces that are necessary. So in other words, God does not give us an obligation without giving us what is necessary or at least promising that we have made available to us what is necessary to fulfill our obligations. And so when a priest becomes a priest by way of the sacrament of holy orders and receives this obligation, receives this seal and this character, he doesn't do so just in a, in a type of leap of faith, but rather we believe in our theology, which is certainly held by faith, but it's not blind faith, that we will be able to fulfill this, if I remain faithful to Christ, if I'm willing to love God more than I love myself, through cooperation with the actual graces that he gives. And so we have a claim that you on, on everything that's necessary for me to live the life that he wants me to as a priest, or as a baptized Christian, or as a confirmed Christian, etc. 
The sacramental character, therefore, retains its value as a distinctive sign also in the world to come, where it will enhance the happiness of the elect and add to the confusion of the damned. Let me read that one more time. The sacramental character, therefore, retains its value as a distinctive sign also in the world to come, where it will enhance the happiness of the elect and add to the confusion of the damned. This is from Paul and Prowse. In other words, just restating that this indelible mark is indelible and that it lasts forever, heaven and hell. And so it's not a guarantee of salvation. Sanctifying grace, that is what's necessary in the soul to go to heaven. You can have this seal, but not have sanctifying grace, even though the seal is very much related to sanctifying grace. It almost makes no sense to have a stamp that says, made for God, but then not to have God within me, and not to have his grace, that is the means by which he is united to me, within me. So every moment that we are in the state of grace, we are in, in some ways uh, almost uh, kind of mocking this seal that we have received from the sacrament. Get back to the sacrament of confession as soon as you can if you ever commit mortal sin. Because we belong in the sanctifying grace for a multitude of reasons. The fact that we die and don't go to heaven if we die outside of sanctifying grace, that is reason enough. But in addition to this, God has given us this most holy seal as a result of our baptism. And if we are confirmed, then also as a result of that. And, and therefore, for us to be in mortal sin and to remain in mortal sin and be okay with going a week or months or whatever in mortal sin is in a sense kind of spitting on this sacramental seal that he has given us. Him putting his name on our souls. We should want to reverence that and to appreciate that in every way. And we, in a sense, kind of mock it to be in mortal sin without uh, or with, as, uh, while having these seals within our soul. And so, as I said, just with Paul and Proust, just to reemphasize one more time, this idea that it will enhance the happiness in heaven. Not everybody in heaven will have this seal. Not everybody in heaven will have the seal of confirmation. Not everybody in heaven will have the seal of holy orders. And so it, that seal is something that will enhance the glory in heaven. But at the same time, it will also cause greater suffering in hell. Every demon will know that you were baptized, that you were given everything and so much more than we can imagine as a result of your baptism. And you blew it by not giving yourself to God, by rejecting the obligations and the duties that you have through uh, these seals and through the sacraments in general. All seven sacraments, without exception, and infallibly confer sanctifying grace when performed and received in the right disposition. So once again, just to emphasize, emphasize sanctifying grace, but at the same time that we also have some responsibility. I mentioned, for a valid sacrament, we need form, the proper form. I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Uh, or I absolve you from your sins in the name of the Father and Son and of the Holy Spirit, etc. So oftentimes the words that are said. Then also the proper matter, using water for baptism, etc. And then also the proper minister with the right intention. If I go up to just if I go up to my mother and ask her to forgive my sins, I begin in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, bless me, Father, for I have sinned, or bless me, Mother, for I have sinned. She cannot forgive my sins. She does not have holy orders. She is not capable of having holy orders. Uh, and therefore, she can forgive me from herself, but she cannot give the forgiveness of Christ by loosening and binding sins and whatnot in order for the sake of the cleansing of the soul. That is what absolution is doing. So, the person or the recipient themselves, although, even though, we have the proper form, the proper matter, as well as 
the right intention of a proper minister, we still can have an invalid sacrament if the person themselves puts an obex in the way. I wouldn't say, I should, I should change that. I wouldn't say that the sacrament is invalid. I would say that the sacrament is not conferring the sanctifying grace. Let me correct that again. I am not saying that it is an invalid sacrament. If we have the right form, the right matter, as well as the right uh, minister with the right intention, then we have a valid sacrament. That sacrament is being given. But a person can have a block, an obstacle, that prevents them from receiving the graces. For instance, if I were to go um, to, to receive holy matrimony, let's say I'm not a priest, and I go receive holy matrimony um, with the love of my life, a beautiful bride, and I am in mortal sin, then I am preventing the graces of receiving the sanctifying grace at that moment because of the state of, of sin that I am in. The same thing, if I go receive the Holy Eucharist and I know that I'm in mortal sin and I need to get to confession and I just don't, then I am committing grave sin as well. I am causing other problems in that I am putting a block, an obex from the Latin, an obstacle in the way of me receiving all of the graces that God wants to give to me as a result of the sacrament. So, all that to say, our disposition does matter. It's not entirely based. The validity of the sacrament is not based on my disposition. But I am able to block the graces of God if I am not properly disposed. The more humble and the more loving and the more appreciative that I am in receiving the sacraments, the more I will receive. My, whole, my soul is more and more open. Humility, in a sense, is like a doorway. And the more that we have it, the greater the size of that door uh, truly is. And so, ask often for the, for, the, for the virtue of humility, because in doing so, you will grow in every other virtue as well. Quote, Besides grace, the sacrament imparts the three divine virtues of faith, hope, and charity, the infused moral virtues and other concomitants uh, of sanctifying grace. I'll explain that word just because we will use it in the future, even though it's not quite necessary for, for this class. But concomitant, or concomitants, is a, a, a fancy word in essence just saying that which accompanies, right? So uh, if I have sanctifying grace, if you remember from the, from the grace class or episode in the series, I spoke about sanctifying grace having an entourage. That the moment that you receive sanctifying grace, you also receive the presence of God dwelling within you. And you also receive divine charity and, and you also receive you know, faith and hope and you have the, all of these other virtues in a supernatural form. Those are all an entourage, as I call it. Well, the theological, the proper theological term is concomitants. In other words, that these accompany sanctifying grace. It comes with it. You cannot have sanctifying grace without having uh, divine charity in your soul. It's not possible. If you have one, you have the other. And therefore, uh, in the sacraments, as we receive sanctifying grace, as we receive special grace, and then in some of the sacraments, in three of them, we receive an indelible mark, we also receive that which accompanies sanctifying grace, which means that we receive an increase in divine charity, and that if we receive an increase in divine charity, we also increase, uh, increase faith and charity, uh, excuse me, hope, and then we also receive an increase in the supernatural virtues of uh, discipline and fasting and or chastity and purity and humility and all of these others. Uh, and so from the sacraments, we receive treasure loads of riches, that God seeks to bestow upon us. 
And we only increase that more and more the, with, as I said, the humility and the, the devotion and the openness of heart and the true desire and longing to receive those sacraments. Go to the Eucharist, go to the sacrament of confession longing for it, desiring it. That is what is so pleasing to God. When we want Him in us, when we want to confess our sins, when we want to get rid of everything that is in the way of us having a fuller and more perfect and more intimate relationship with Him. So continue to move forward towards Him. I will try to uh, finish or wrap up here in the next few minutes. The quantity of grace, as I, as I have been mentioning, one receives can differ according to God's will and his or her own disposition. So the valid sacrament is only upon those three requirements that I've mentioned, form, matter, right disposition, right intention, or right minister with the right intention. However, the quantity of grace, that is very much going to be related to us in a particular way. Let me read this quote. The amount of grace conferred by a sacrament in each instance depends, one, on the eternal decree of God, who has endowed each sacrament with a definite measure of grace. Therefore, he himself, according to his own will, decides to give a certain quantity out. That is the first. Secondly, on the disposition and cooperation of the recipient. Note, however, that the sacraments are efficacious in and of themselves, by the work being done. So once the sacrament is done with the, fulfilling the three requirements to be valid, then that sacrament is conferred. That we must believe. However, my disposition as the recipient, as the one receiving it, does bear weight with the quantity that I have. And consequently, the disposition of the recipient is not the cause of the grace. The sacrament itself is the cause, an efficacious sign, remember but merely a condition of a richer outpouring of the same, just as the dryness of a stick of wood is not the cause of its burning, but a condition of its being more rapidly consumed by the flames. End quote. This also from Paul and Proust. Then St. Cyril, sa Cyril says uh, to his catechumens, quote, Cleanse thine vessel. Cleanse yourself that it may receive a greater measure of grace. Forgiveness of sins is granted to all alike, but the communication of the Holy Ghost is given to each according to the measure of his faith. If thine effort be but slight, thou wilt receive little. But if thou dost much, thine reward will be great. End quote. Again, the quantity of our faith and hope, humility and charity. And charity is the most important. All of this is so much related to the quantity that we receive from every one of the sacraments. That's why I think you see in the scriptures, and it slips my mind as to what passage it actually is, but where Christ says to the one that has more will be given, and to the one that has not, even what he has will be taken away. This very much, I think, is related to grace. And, and, and Bishop Fulton Sheen has, has kind of opened my eyes to that because he's the one that, that, that brought that up firstly. But I want to go farther than he did and relate that very much to the way in which we receive the sacraments in, in relation to grace. Because the one who has much, in other words, the more that I have in terms of my charity and my, and my humility and my devotion towards God and my, my true desire and hunger after him, then the more I will receive. But the more grace that I will receive because the more open of a heart that I have to receive everything that Christ is pouring so never can I receive more than God wills for me to receive. He, his eternal will, that is what's first and foremost when it comes to the quantity of grace that I receive. But I can bottleneck that. So if he wants to give me, let's say, this much grace just pouring down, 
but I bottleneck that because I'm not well disposed. I'm not really trying that hard to pay attention at mass and I come every week and I'm kind of bored and therefore I know that the Eucharist does good, but I don't really see that it does all that good. If, if the Eucharist is so powerful, then why is there so many sinful priests? If the Eucharist is so powerful, then why aren't Catholics just so much better than everybody else? Questions like this, right? Which have answers. First of all, look at the saints. We don't see people in other religions living lives of sanctity like the saints. Finding that St. Francis, somebody with so many miracles, so many impressive stories, so many uh, people that were attracted to him. In, in, in such an intense way to give up all of their wealth, all of their riches, all of their lives and their own free will to live a very strict, very difficult life. Find those kinds of saints in other religions. You don't. Even in other denominations within Christianity, you don't. You can have various exceptions of people that very much have opened themselves and are truly holy. You'll definitely find people that are holier than I, uh, most certainly. However, the very big difference the point is that we very much have a say in the quantity of sanctity that we have. We very much have a large say in the quantity of graces that we receive. It comes first from God's will, but secondly, how do we receive them? If God is willing to give me this much, am I going to bottleneck that this much, or am I going to ask and continuously ask His Blessed Virgin to teach me to open myself entirely so that what He gives, I receive, that nothing is wasted, nothing is left. Uh, uh, without being used and without being truly absorbed in my, my soul and in my very being. St. Thomas Aquinas says, quote, All children are equally disposed to baptism. All receive an equal effect in baptism, whereas adults are not equally disposed. For some approach with greater, some with less, devotion, and therefore some receive a greater, and some a smaller share of the grace of renewal. End quote. Christ is the author of all of the sacraments, as I said. But I want to just sum that up as an ending note. Christ, we know, as I've mentioned over and over again in other, uh, hopefully preceding uh, miniseries, in other words, I, I hope that you have, again, watched the miniseries more or less in the right order so that you're able to recognize that our faith builds very much on itself. The more that we understand God and the human person, the easier it is for us to understand Holy Mother Church. And the more that we understand Holy Mother Church, the easier it is for us to understand the importance of grace and then grace, sacraments, etc. So, firstly, is that God alone is the one that can unite the external, or excuse me, the internal grace of the sacrament to the external sign of the sacrament. He's the only one that can take water and uh, the few words of I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and make that so efficacious by uniting the internal grace to it. It's only God that can do that. That is something that is supernatural and beyond humanity's possibilities and capabilities. Only God can do so. However, Jesus, in his humanity, is the one who merited the grace of the sacraments. Why are they so efficacious to us? Why do they have merit? Why are they able to sanctify souls? Because of what he did in his humanity on the cross. So only God can take the grace and unite it to the external sign. But it takes humanity. It takes a human person. Excuse me. It takes a human, one with a human nature, I should say. It takes a one with a human nature to merit the forgiveness and the grace and the benefits that God the Father pours out upon us through the sacraments. So therefore, in recognizing that Jesus is one divine person, not a human person, he is one divine person with two natures, human and divine, then we see that the sacraments, which are something that is both physical but also a spiritual reality, in some ways is mimicking almost what the reality that we have in, in, in the person of Christ, that he is one divine person with two natures, human and divine. 
Well, only God can unite the, the grace of the sacrament to the physical sign or the external sign of the sacrament. Jesus is a divine person. He is God with a, with a divine nature as well. But it takes a human to, uh, to merit the, 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 the graces by dying on the cross, by giving himself entirely, by being bled out. And therefore, we have the humanity of Christ, which earns or merits the graces of the sacrament. And we have the divinity of Christ that unites those graces to the external sign, making the sacraments possible. Why is it that the church cannot make an eighth or a ninth or a tenth sacrament? Because we are not able to do what Christ himself, only Christ, can do. God is omnipotent. And in that omnipotence, he has developed an entire salvific system for the sake of our glory. He wants to pour his glory upon us. How is that possible? By us glorifying him in ourselves, in our lives, in the way in which we live and appreciate the sacraments, and in a way in which we bring out to the world the graces that we have received through the sacraments. Therefore, Jesus alone is the one in his humanity, humanity and in his divinity, the one who has instituted the sacraments uh, for the sake of our salvation. God forever be praised. Without our Lord being divine and human, we cannot have salvation. We cannot be united to God the Father who gives so much generously as a result of what His Holy Son has done and only by the power of the Holy Spirit uniting us to His Son through these sacraments. Very much the Holy Spirit works in the sacraments. Thank you all for joining us. This will wrap up our general class of the sacraments, and therefore we will begin kind of sub-mini-series in going into each of the seven sacraments. May God richly bless you all. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. God, may your name forever be praised on our lips, on our minds, and hearts, and the way in which we live. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.